Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is RU fan Jerry, and welcome to another edition of the Our Big Show, uh, the uh, Rutgers football podcast, uh, where we cover, of course, Rutgers football as well as the uh, Big Ten. And uh, this is week two of the college football season, and we look forward uh, to the Scarlet Knights taking on the Washington State Cougars at home at 3.30, a perfect uh, day for football. The weather's looking in the high 70s, a rare 3.30 start for those that want to get in and tailgate and have some fun. And uh, the Scarlet Knights, uh, who are coming off of a 63-13 to win over Norfolk State last week, uh, uh, kind of a tune-up type of game. And this is uh, the first of uh, many challenges on the schedule and, and uh, an opportunity for fans uh, to get out there and see what uh, hopefully be a precursor for this season. So uh, we're I'm excited to have uh, a special guest uh, calling in uh, to talk about the uh, Cougars from their p- point of view. And also uh, we will touch and talk base uh, with uh, uh, the uh, a quarterback guru and coach who did some work with Chris Laviano, who was named the starting quarterback this week. Uh, for the Scarlet Knights. So looking forward to that. And uh, then we'll take some calls like we did last week. So the number is 914-388-1694. Uh, after our guest session, uh, uh, definitely uh, call in and I'll get you on and we'll talk some, some Rutgers football. Uh, the Scarlet Knights uh, taking the Washington State, who uh, uh, they met up last year at the beginning of the season, and it was a pretty exciting game, uh, which uh, Rutgers pulled out at the end. Uh, of the game this year, it's game two for both teams. As I mentioned, uh, Washington State is actually coming off a very tough loss uh, to uh, Portland State, a uh, FCS team, 24 to 17. So, uh, some bad news again with the with Rutgers, as another player uh, was mentioned or, or uh, in, in an arrest uh, today, um, stemming back from incidents in well, in April. So I think both teams are probably looking forward to uh, keeping things on the field and getting out there and uh, playing some football. So, uh, you know, it's it's distractions to say the least, but uh, we'll touch base and talk a little bit about the situation that's taking place with uh, Coach Flood. But right now I definitely want to welcome um, Michael Preston, who's an editor over at Coogcenter.com of the SB Nation and start to talk some uh, some football. Uh, Mike, uh, welcome to the uh, show. Uh, a, a lovely week last week for uh, Washington State fans who, uh, you know, in the last few years losing to an FCS team, not a huge storyline. Plenty of teams have done it, but when you lose to one who's only won five games in the last two years, it's a little on to the disheartening side. Yeah, I think it also takes uh, some notice, probably even nationally, because, of course, uh, my coach uh, of Washington State is Mike Leach, who uh, has uh, you know been known to be a very talkative guy. And uh, some of us in New yeah. Jersey uh, football have heard some of his comments. And, and also, he's a little bit of a polarizing figure for uh, some of the events that took place in uh, his previous stop at Texas Tech. So uh, let me ask you, from the fan perspective, uh, uh, is uh, they're starting to hear grumbles about uh, Leach as, as coach? I mean, there could be grumbles all you want. I mean, I certainly, you know, we've spent three years, I think, at the site. Most of us doing our best to really defend Mike Leach, and, you know, this is a process of rebuilding, and, you know, 6-7 and 2013 was probably too good, and 3-9 and last year was probably um, not a fair reflection of how good the team was, but the biggest problem is regardless of whether you want to fire him at the end of the season or not, the school owes him 60% of his base salary through the length of his deal, which ends after the 2019 season. So they owe him after the season's over $4.8 million. They want to can him and they just do not have that money lying around. So the only way it seems like you're going to relieve yourself of Mike Leach, if the season continues to go the direction it did against Portland state, someone else is going to have to hire him because WSU has gotten an influx of Pac-12 cash, but some of the cash they were hoping for isn't there yet. They just cannot afford to pay Mike Leach $1.2 million a year while they're paying whoever replaces him $2 million to 
$3.5 million a year. They can't afford to pay $3.7 million bucks for four years to a head football coach who works for them and another one who doesn't. So I think, you know, he's got 11 games left to prove he deserves this job. But even at the end of the season, if they want to fire him, I don't know that they have the cash available to do it. Well, I'm glad you answered that question in that direction because, uh, you, know, you know, here uh, the coach of Rutgers, Kyle Flood, is, of course, under fire. Now, Rutgers went 8-5 and five last year, which I think obviously exceeded most uh, expectations in their first season in the Big Ten. Um, but he, you know, has not been winning over fans in terms of uh, keeping the top players in New Jersey. And New Jersey has pretty good talent. And with the latest uh, off-the-field incidents, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of hearing those calls or – uh, you know, not loudly, but they're definitely there. But uh, mm-hmm. the issue of money is a big issue when when uh, you start to do the calculations in this. And Rutgers, as you mentioned, with, with the Pac-12 money, is not yet receiving a full share of their Big Ten pie, which will come down the road. And, mm-hmm. and when you fire a coach, you're not just firing the coach himself, you're firing his staff. And then you're bringing in a new coach who's probably going to be high profile who wants to bring in his staff. So uh, it, it is a money issue, and it's something that I'm glad you uh, touched on. Yep. No, I mean, it's, you know, you, you're talking with him, and again, like you bring up, you're going to have to get let go of his assistants, too. I mean, they do work on one year contracts generally, but there's money you're going to have to give away there. So just up front, it's a big cost, WSU. And then you, again, you can't just hire. You know, uh, I think some people have looked at Bo Baldwin at Eastern Washington, which I don't know if I want to go back to the well of Eastern Washington again like they did with Paul Wolf. But um, you know, Bo Baldwin's not just going to come down, to, not going to come 70 miles south of Pullman for a million and a half dollars. You, he's going to want to be paid like a Pac-12 coach because he's in the Pac-12, and I wouldn't blame him at all for that. So you're going to have to pay him at least two million dollars. So bare minimum, if you want to fire Mike Leach after the season, you're looking at 3.2 million dollars for the next. Uh, four years, and I don't know that they can afford to do that. Even though they are paying him right now $2.75 million when you include other compensation, it's just it's that extra cost each year. Unless you are really confident you can get a guy for 2 to $2.2 million a year, I'm not sure the school has that extra over the life of what that would be over $2 million laying around to pay the guy. Now, I know you're limited in time, so let's kind of jump right into the uh, the football talk mm-hmm. here. Uh, uh, again, Washington State uh, lost 24-17 to last week to uh, Portland State. Now, uh, some of the news during the week was uh, the injury to quarter, starting quarterback Luke Falk. Uh, uh, Mike Leach is known to be uh, very Bill Belichick-like in his uh, discussions about injuries. So, uh, mm-hmm. as far as we know, he is coming in and he is starting. Uh, is, is that what you're expecting uh, this week? Yeah, that's the, ex- the expectation is that he's starting. And Mike Leach's favorite thing to say is everybody's happy and healthy. No one's hurt, but, you know, of course, he came straight down on his shoulder on the last drive of the game. Uh, so I think what he had was a stinger in his shoulder. The expectation is that he will be playing. Mike Leach has said as much as he, he does expect him to play on Saturday in Piscataway. If he doesn't, if for whatever reason he is actually hurt, uh, Peyton Bender's a redshirt freshman. He is his backup. Uh, Bender's a little bit more mobile than he is. He's a little bit more of a candidate for an arm, but, again, doesn't know the offense as well as Falk does. And Falk didn't have a great game against Portland State. Looked very tentative, indecisive, didn't throw a great ball. Yeah, it was wet. Yeah, it was cold. Yeah, the crowd sucked. But I, he just did not look very good against Portland State. So I have a feeling, and Mike Leach has done this before, if Luke Falk doesn't look good against Rutgers, in the first quarter, you may see some Peyton Bender, regardless of who the starter is. Now, one thing about obviously the two teams uh, faced off last year, and uh, you know, Michael Leach and his uh, offense is pretty known to everybody. He's going to throw the ball. He's going to throw it a, a lot. Uh, and mm. and it, it, there's no secret that both of these teams, especially looking at each other, you know, last week they're going to attack each other's weakness. Uh, um, you know, Rutgers, as I mentioned, has been decimated with. Uh, uh, these arrests uh, taking place to their in their secondary, concentrating in the secondary position, and that's what Washington State does. So I think it's pretty simple. They're going to be attacking the young uh, players out mm-hmm. there. And then, um, you know, on the side of uh, Portland State, they ran the ball very well, uh, over 200 yards rushing. You know, Rutgers yep. in his last game uh, had 293 yards. They have a good running game with three different backs. Uh, so, you know, it's safe to say we're going to know what, what the game plan for both teams is. 
Yeah, I think the most discouraging thing for us uh, at the site and Coop fans in general last week was that Portland State in the second half pretty much told you what they were going to do. They were going to run the ball on a bootleg option with their quarterback, and they were going to bring in their this thing they call utility quarterback. He's a guy who plays wide receiver and quarterback. They kind of out of the wildcat. He doesn't throw much. They did not pass a lot in the second half, and they basically told WSU on every play what they were going to do. But WSU couldn't get contained on the quarterback. They couldn't contain the running back. Nothing worked, and Portland State just gashed them for yards in the second half. They looked awful defensively, and if that same team shows up on Saturday, uh, Paul James is going to run straight through them and into the end zone a few times. It's just their play on Saturday against Portland State was woefully underwhelming, and uh, especially against a team that's much more unathletic, has much less speed, and it's just, in theory, a much worse team than WSU, and they could not handle that running game, and that was just not an encouraging thing at all, especially, as you said, with Portland or uh, Rutgers, rather, their ability to really run all over you if they want to. Yeah, I mean, and definitely, uh, I, I think with the naming of uh, Curtis Flaviano as the quarterback, uh, uh, it, it, mm-hmm. who's a little bit more mobile, uh, you will definitely – uh, see a lot of, of run and a play action pass in this game coming up. So, uh, you know, as like I said, I think it's not going to be a, a secret. Uh, you know, also, Leonte Carew had a good game last uh, week, <laughs> incredible game, uh, three catches, three touchdowns, and, and that's coming off of the game last season he had against Washington State. So uh, that's obviously something that the uh, secondary has to do. Now, in defensively, uh, you know, what what are your thoughts about Washington um, State against the, the, the passing game and, and covering? a player like uh, Well, we didn't get a lot of chance to see how they play against the passing game last week against Portland State, and even then I would, you know, caution anybody to make a lot of judgments on that. Portland State just didn't throw the ball a lot. They ran for each one of their touchdowns, and they primarily beat WSU on the ground, and they did it with a field position game where WSU just couldn't get yards offensively, and eventually Portland State punted enough that it got WSU pinned back far enough that they couldn't punt their way out of a bad field position. I, I really don't know what to make of their passing defense right now. They have Charleston White. He's a Richard sophomore at one cornerback position. They have Darian Moulton, a true freshman at the other one. Uh, and they have Shalom Luani, a junior college transfer at one safety spot, and Taylor Taliulu, a senior at the other one. Uh, White led the team in passes, defended last year. Shalom Luani did look good against Portland State, would come up into the box, made some good tackles. Taylor Taliulu. Looks better than he has the last three years. I don't really know what to make of Darian Moulton yet. We didn't really see enough of him. So it's somewhat of an enigma at this point. I do think it's better than what Rutgers saw last year in Seattle when you had uh, Carew burned, a redshirt senior who had never played before, a down of defense in his career. WSU burned him on the first play of the game for a touchdown and a converted running back at safety who had converted to that position two weeks earlier. I think this passing defense is better than what they saw then. I'm just really not sure how much better it is because we didn't get a good idea of it last week. All right, so we talk about, obviously, where Rutgers has the ball. Now, Washington State, when, when they're on offense, um, uh, again, we talked about the the, uh, the young defensive backs, particularly at the cornerback position for Rutgers. And, and another uh, issue uh, for the Scarlet facing is, uh, you know, their, their best defensive lineman, Darius Hamilton, is out. And that's key because you, you obviously want to get your hands up and, and get some pressure quickly mm-hmm. to the quarterback uh, uh, it, in an offense that they try to get rid of the ball. Now, to me, you know, kind of walk us through what the air raid exactly is. I mean, we are familiar people talk about spreads and run and shoot and um, you know do they particularly move around a lot of players in different formations that may confuse a young secondary so what you're going to see a lot of is it's a lot of four receiver sets you're going to see some two back sets but not too many of them most of the time they're going to be in a four receiver set they're going to have your X, your H, your Y, your Z and guys stay in those positions very rarely do they go three receivers to one side even if they're on the left hash or the right hash. So, and the air raid is more about throwing to a window. You're throwing to where there should be some room on the field to get the football into. And in theory, with four receivers out there, there's always going to be a window unless you're playing a really good zone defense, which Portland State did last week. So the biggest thing is you need to have some athletic playmaking guys out there. WSU does have that. They have Don Williams, Richard Sr., they have Kyron Priest through the Clemson transfer who got eligible for this year. They have Gabe Marks who registered last year. And they have River Craycraft who made some uncharacteristic drops last Saturday. There are guys out there who can make plays 
The biggest problem is Luke Falk needs to hit the football. He can't be so tentative. He can't wait so long. Because Portland State's rushing, or, uh, uh, pass, uh, pass rushing attack was awful. And the, the future offensive line is the strength of the offense. They're going to be okay up front generally. But they, he had time to knit the sweater back there last week, and he could not find anything. And he needs to tuck it and run it a little bit more, in my opinion. But WSU's going to attack you by trying to find those open windows in the defense. They will eventually find some. It's just a matter of records' ability to kind of keep that home run pass down. And if you can keep it in front of you, generally, you can find a way to hold them to under 10 yards on three tries. Yeah, and also, in, in addition to uh, Darius Hamilton, uh, uh, the the uh, speed rush uh, specialist that uh, Rutgers had, uh, Kamoko Terry, is also a little bit banged up. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Now, you know, obviously we talked, you know, the, from the football aspect of it, but, um, uh, you know, before I let you run, I always like to get a little bit of a uh, feel for, um, you know, you lose a game like this, uh, it, it, you know, it's not only just a loss, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing because of the whole uh, – uh, you know, right. FCS uh, part of it. Um, you know, what 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 did you get for the feel of the team? Um, you know, dejected or they kind of in that us against the world type of mentality. I mean, the nice thing about you know eighteen to twenty two year olds is generally they can forget anything real quick, right? And you can they kind of believe whatever you tell them if you're the coach, and you know you're a better team than that. You're not that bad. I think the bigger problem is for the fans, and it was just seeing. You know, again, like I said earlier, it's not like they lost North Dakota State. It's not like they lost to Eastern Washington. It's not even like they lost um, to Appalachian State like Michigan did. Those were all very good FCS teams, and especially North Dakota State and beat Kansas State last year. They won four straight national championships. They're a good football team. Portland State's awful. Portland State in 2008, when WSU was the worst team in FBS history, arguably, that you should beat them by four. I mean, it was just so completely and totally unexpected. I don't know what the problem was. I, I really think some of it might have had to do that they were looking past under Rutgers. They just thought, oh, well, we can try through this. We don't have to worry about it. Let's just go out there and let's just kind of be a little lazy. And they got their butt kicked, quite frankly. Even though the final score was only a seven-point difference, they got their butt kicked. Um, I don't think they're going to remember that much. Again, you know, a young kid, you got to get them to forget anything. But they need to come out and they need to hit Rutgers in the mouth. And I not even for uh, confidence of the fans, but just for their confidence. They need to come right out and hit the Scarlet Knights in the mouth and really put the wood to them in the first quarter to get some of that confidence back because I've said this earlier, I think if Rutgers can get up by a couple of touchdowns early, the game's probably over by the end of the first quarter. Yeah, definitely the beginning of this game uh, will we'll tell a lot. So, Mike, I appreciate you um, coming on the show uh uh, you know, I, yeah. I uh, you know, definitely tell um, you know fans, everybody, to check out uh, your site, CoogCenter uh, dot com. You know, a lot of pregame talk uh, there, and a lot of things you can learn a little bit about the uh, the Cougars. So, uh, uh, appreciate you uh, uh, coming uh, coming on, and uh, you know, we'll talk again uh, during the week. So, well, appreciate you having me on. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks. Well, that's a little preview from the. Um, perspective of uh, the Washington State side of things. And uh, the next uh, part that we're going to kind of uh, storyline, of course, for Rutgers was uh, this week, uh, the um, ongoing quarterback uh, competition that's been basically taking place uh, since April uh, came to a heed uh, in the sense that uh, Hayden Redden, the uh, transfer from LSU, um, and going at it with um, Chris Laviano, uh, and, and as close of a contest as you can probably see when, when at least for fans were reading uh, the scrimmage stats and, and even what took place and transpired uh, last week. Now, we don't know whether there was a decision made. Um, to me, Reddick looked good in, in the first half, and then uh, obviously Laviano came in right away, and with his three scores, of course, he had uh, the advantage of playing with Leontay Crew, who was uh, – uh, suspended for that first half. So not much that from a fan perspective that you can really tell to separate. Uh, you know, you as a as a uh, observer want to trust what the coaches did and, and in you know in Calford's case there's also uh you got the offensive coordinator McDaniel. He they you know I'm sure uh, brought in some uh input from the fridge. So uh you know you have to feel pretty confident that, that the player that's coming out there on, on Sunday is the best player at the quarterback position. So um, I want to bring in actually a special guest. I've been uh, uh, excited to have the, the opportunity to uh, to welcome uh, 
uh, Todd Kruger to the show. He's a quarterback guru, and he has done some work with Chris Flaviano in the past. Uh, so it's kind of a great opportunity to uh, for us to learn a little bit more about Chris. Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. It's uh, great to be here. Great to talk some football. Rutgers, Chop Nation. <laughs> yes, and, uh, you know, before I get you going, um, t- uh, tell me a little bit about the work that you do. I, You know, I'm sorry to you. Uh, uh, work with uh, quarterbacks all over the nation and, uh, you know, w- what exactly uh, it is that you, you do with the players. Well, thanks. Uh, I was lucky enough back in the day to get drafted, had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Uh, I was drafted by the Bills back in the day, and now I'm a private uh, quarterback coach nationwide. I've been doing it full-time uh, since 2008, and Chris was actually one of my first quarterback clients. I started training in uh, 2008 when he was a seventh grader in uh, Long Island, New York. Right, that's, that's, that's impressive. Now, uh, you know, it's funny, you see a lot of these private trainers and working with, uh, in, in a lot of the other sports, not as much in football, is starting to come across a lot more, especially now at the quarterback position, as you know, has developed so much over, over the years, where, you know, high school games 20 years ago, you weren't throwing the ball that much. Now, you know, they're throwing it in spread offenses and and, and college quarterbacks have become so, so much more uh, developed at a young age. And, and obviously that's, uh, you know, through the tutelage and learning the game from um, from people like yourself. Yeah, uh, I've seen in the last six to seven years that whole private industry, the private training has just exploded. Um, coaches around the country that have been doing this for a while. Uh, Steve Clarkson is probably the number one guy to start with. George Whitfield, who works with a lot of the uh, – college guys that want to go pro i kind of specialize more in the youth and the high school kids uh the big thing that has taken place the cost of to go to college has skyrocketed you know the average college now is about 160 to 180 200,000 dollars so the parents see it as an investment to work with a quarterback coach like myself i've been you know like i said i've been doing it since 2008 and i think my tally to as of last year i've had uh 107 kids that i trained have gotten a college scholarship so uh, it's a it's a it's an area that I don't think is going to go backwards because of the cost of college and the success that you talked about. Uh, you know, you're looking at uh, the guy from uh, UCLA is starting as a true freshman. You've got guys going right from out of college to the NFL and playing their first year. So the the maturation of high school and college quarterbacks has advanced so much, and the high school guys, high school coaches, and players are now running the same kind of offenses. Uh, college teams with the spread, the know-how, and all that stuff. So it's it's really uh, that whole industry that I'm in is just really expanded. Now tell us, are there any other quarterbacks uh, named that that would jump out? Uh, you know, in terms of uh, uh, knowing off the top of their heads for fans listening. Uh, well, uh, you know, I trained mostly on the East Coast. Uh, I had Lorenzo Nunez from Georgia. He's at, he was the number one quarterback out of uh, Georgia. He's going at South Carolina this year. I uh, had a kid uh, from a uh, prep school in Connecticut. He went out. His name is David Magle. He's out at Cal. I had a kid from uh, prep school in Connecticut who's going to Boston College named John Fadul. I had a quarterback out of Charlotte named uh, Cameron Tripp. He's at Harvard. Uh, so those are all my big-time guys. I've got a couple of guys down here in Georgia this year who are uh, – who's a senior. He's going to be a senior. He's already got offers from Louisville. He's a kid to watch. His name is Chancellor Johnson. Uh, I've got a couple of under kids, under uh, younger kids. There's a guy named uh, Davis Mills. He's the top one of the top quarterbacks in Georgia. He's a junior. He's got 20 offers. I've got Cade Fortin, who's a sophomore. Uh, he's already got his first offer. He's a starter at North Gwinnett. And I'm just down here in Johns Creek today. I flew in from Boston to train. Uh, I have a freshman quarterback who just got named starting quarterback for the local high school. His name is. Uh, Zach Gibson, and he's going to be a starting quarterback uh, this tomorrow for his uh, high school varsity. So, uh, and then I have a lot of Division Two, II, Division Three, and I'm from the Boston area. A lot of the kids are trying to get into the Ivy League schools, the high academic schools, and I've had uh, 12 kids in the last eight years put into Ivy League schools. So that's a different type of recruiting situation. It's more about academics, and but uh, I've had success doing that. So uh, different levels. You know, I have a lot of kids who are not going to be Division One players, but they still want to play college football. Right, and it's uh, it's a great point, you know, in terms of some of the those schools, and especially in that Massachusetts area, where or really all of New England that are not Division One programs, but are very good academically, it could you know obviously be an advantage uh, if you can get yourself in here. 
Now, you know, before we jump into the football, you know, you, you, you worked with Chris uh, in the past, Chris Laviano, uh, you know, since obviously young kid, 12, 13 years old. Uh, how was he in terms of, of, you know, as a worker, and what was your, your impressions um, of him, you know, as, as a young guy and growing up? Well, you know, I'm probably going to give away some inside stories, so I hope it doesn't get him in trouble or myself with the family. But when I first met Chris, he wasn't even the starter on his uh, seventh or eighth grade youth football team. And so that was the initial uh, challenge was to try to get him some playing time. You know, it was a little bit of daddy ball. He was from the Long Island area. But uh, uh, right away, I noticed uh, he was a very serious kid, very driven really coachable, and uh, he just had this internal drive. And the other thing, he was just so calm and collected about all the stuff when he was just kind of a sponge. And so I uh, started training him, and then I think uh, he was the actual the starter as a freshman in high school also at Holy, at Holy Trinity in uh, Long Island. So he, uh, he was, in fact, I think his first year, they went undefeated, they went 10-0, and and then they lost the Long Island State Championship to St. Anthony. So I think they were 11-1 and as a true freshman. He threw for almost 2,000 yards. So I could tell right away that uh, Chris had some skill sets, and the, the stuff we worked on, he was able to translate that into the game field action. So then we started right away getting him in the recruiting pipeline. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he was when I first got him, he was probably six foot, 155, 160 pounds. And then, you know, he just kept growing, getting stronger, uh, you see him now. He's, you know, I, I saw Coach Flood talking about Chris. He's a worker. You know, he's great with his teammates. I think uh, he talked about his leadership, his his relationship with his teammates, and how hard they all said he worked in the off season. When I met, when I know Chris went to Rutgers, I think he was about 200. Now I think he's up to 220. And it's, you know, last time I saw him, he was just all muscled up. So I was really impressed how much time he's put in in the weight room uh, with his teammates. Yeah, I mean, uh, first to bring back some of the uh, old, I'm actually a New York guy, so talking about the old CHSFL, those uh, old training <laughs> names. Man. Come on, there's, I remember some, there's, those, some uh, play- there's some good players coming out of Long Island. There's not as many as, uh, you know, down in Texas or Arizona or California or Georgia or Florida, but uh, the Long Island has some players. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, now in terms of, of you mentioned something really important uh, where – the, his development, not only of his game, but but the body, uh, and I think this is important for Rutgers uh, fans. To know, you know, over the last couple of years, um, really since Mike Teal left the program, uh, a lot of young quarterbacks have uh, been thrown into the fire uh, as freshmen. Even Gary Nova, who just left, uh, uh, you know, Chad Dodd, um, you know, Mike, uh, of course, um, uh, Savage, who is here too. And yeah, I remember. I, I actually and, trained. I actually trained Tom. Uh, I was at the uh, FBU Army All-American game, and Tom was down there, and I got a chance to work with Tom for the week and got to know him, and I was just so impressed. And I wasn't surprised that he played right away. It was just unfortunate how it all turned out. You know, he went to a couple schools. I think he went to Arizona and ended up at Pittsburgh. But what a, what a right. great kid. He had, that big, he had that big body, as you recall, right from the get-go. Oh yeah, he had the NFL body, and 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 but you know the thing is, you know you're still a freshman and you're jumping into to college football, and 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 I like you know here in this competition you were going to get a third year player no matter what, and and uh, you know you're you're first you get acclimated to college itself, and then you're getting acclimated to the program, and and you know you're talking about a 20 year old that that's starting his first game, but is not a, you know an 18 year old that uh, you know his memories are still from high school. Uh, you know, I think that's something that that's going to say a lot for for uh, for Laviano, and and it's you know almost uh, I read an article today where they were talking about his first start, but you, you almost don't feel like it's his first start, and I think that's that's a great thing that they had you know both of the quarterbacks an opportunity to uh, not get thrown right into the fire. I would agree a hundred percent. I don't know if everybody how well they know Chris's story, but one of the things we talked about, he was getting pretty heavily recruited out of Long Island coming out of his senior year, and uh, we talked about seeing if he could get into, it wasn't as popular as it is now, but get an early enrollment, and Chris was able to do that. He uh, skipped his last semester of a senior high school, and he enrolled at Rutgers uh, during the spring. So he was there for a whole spring practice. He went to school in January. So he has really had almost two and a half years there, and I think that really, really helped him a lot. Uh, people just don't realize how hard it is for a quarterback 
to transition, you know, from college to from high school to college or college to pro because a lot of the, the terminology and the language and the concepts, it's almost like learning a new foreign language. You know, it might be the same idea, but the colleges call it a little bit different. And a lot of times the college is a little more sophisticated than the high school. So there is definitely a learning process. So it's, uh, it's tough. So I think it's a good spot for Chris. You know, we all along, we projected what we were hoping for. We actually talked about when he was in high school, what schools he might want to be recruited by. You know, he had multiple offers about the schools where there was a quarterback was already established as a sophomore or junior, which was Gary Nova, and he could go there, maybe redshirt, and be there for a year or two and then come in and maybe play his sophomore year. And so it really has worked out exactly what we projected. You know, you don't always know that, but for Chris, it's, it's worked out great. And hopefully it translates to some success for the Rutgers football team, having a little bit more experience with Chris. No, good point. I mean, you touched about uh, terminology and, and, and just, uh, you know, learning uh, the playbook, obviously. And, and Now, from a football perspective, like what are some of the difficult challenges, you know, facing a, a young quarterback, uh, you know, transitioning into, you know, the college game, whether it's, you know, certain types of throws or the speed of the athletes. Uh, you know, what are some of the things that, 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 that are hard for a quarterback to do? Well, you know, depending on the level of high school football, uh, the speed of the players, uh, you talked about it, the speed of the game, the complexity of the game. Uh, college football is getting more like pro football where it's becoming specialization. Uh, you have multiple sets. You have multiple uh, personnel. And so the skill sets on all those are, are different. Another challenge for uh, Rutgers quarterbacks and Chris is they've had different offensive coordinators. Uh, I know they had uh, – this might be the third one. Uh, so – uh, learning the, what, what they're trying to do, what their passing concepts are. And then, you know, year to year, you're going by your skill sets. You know, if you're, you have some dynamic receivers, then maybe you want to try to throw the ball. If you have some dynamic blockers, uh, you might want to try to run the ball this year. If you've got some, you know, a dynamite tailback, uh, you maybe want to run the ball, play action. So uh, all that has to be came into play. Uh, one thing I really talk about, I was impressed with Chris, and I'm sure it's all the quarterbacks, you know, when I train my quarterbacks, we talk about, when you transition to, from high school to college, you got to learn the playbook. The faster you learn the playbook, the faster you get on the field. So, and if you can't show the coaching staff that you know the playbook and your first read, your second read, your check down, if uh, it's a certain kind of defense, this play's not going to work. You have to get out of it. You have to get check it. You got to kill, kill, kill. Whatever it is, you got to be able to make that and then manage that whole process and then still make the play at the end of the at the end of the play, uh, end of the play. So, you know, quarterbacks is all about making plays. You know, we talk about accuracy is probably the number one skill. Uh, you read the play, you figure out who's open, and you got to still hit the ball. You still got to get the pass in there. You know, still got to be a completion. You know, I, it's, it's a, that's, a, that's a great point um, that you also brought about the offensive coordinator. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it's actually five straight years of, of five. Oh, different, is it five? Um, I, I'm sorry. I know, I, know, I know for Chris, he had, he's had three new guys. So, uh, right, cause, uh, and then yeah, uh, Nova went through four in all four of his years. Uh, so, so that's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it's, a, it's a great point. It can be tough. Now, you know, you mentioned um, in terms of, of Rutgers and, and the, the, you know, year-to-year team's philosophy change. Now, the one thing about Rutgers, and, and I think it's going to help them, continue to help them going forward in, in quarterback recruiting is that, you know, with a lot of the nation going to pro to, to spread t- offensive types. And uh, Rutgers runs that pro-style offense. You know, they have a fullback. Uh, they, they play with tight ends. They do play action. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the talk about the competition between, um, you know, Reddick and Laviano was, uh, you know, that perhaps Laviano would be a little bit more suited towards a game manager role. Uh, you know, talk about a little bit about his physical attributes in terms of he, he's a little bit more mobile um, and, and how he would play into, like, play action, uh, as, as Rutgers, no doubt, is looking to run the ball and run it a lot. Yeah, I've, I've read that. You know, I don't know if Norfolk was a true test, uh, but uh, I think a big thing is the transition to the Big Ten. Um, it, it's, a, it's a big, big deal, and I think they, they've been able to get uh, some better quality recruits. And I think uh, uh, recruiting-wise, um, the pro-style quarterback is not as vogue as it was, you know, say, eight, ten years ago. It's more the whole dual threat, the Marcus Mariota, the, you know, the Johnny Manziel, the Tim Tebow, you know, uh, is that running dynamic. And I wouldn't say that's 
Chris's strength, but if you want to look at the pro guys, you know, the top pro quarterbacks are, you know, Brady, Manning, Rodgers, Breeze, uh, even Luck, are, even Russell Wilson, it's pocket movement, making somebody miss, uh, extending the play to try to throw completions. So I think Chris will have that skill set. Uh, he'll be able to make some plays with his feet, but he's not going to be a option quarterback. He's not going to be a, a scrambling kind of cold quarterback dual threat. But, you know, Chris can make all the throws, whether it's short, intermediate, long. Uh, he's got a strong enough arm to make the long throws. You know, he's only a sophomore. He's going to get stronger. Uh, I know he can make all the intermediate short throws. He's a very accurate thrower. Uh, he's, I know he's got his head in the playbook, and, you know, he's passionate. He loves the win. Uh, I know he he really likes his teammates. He's told me that a lot. And I just think uh, if he can stay healthy, I think it could be a, a really another great year for Rutgers in the Big Ten, which is going to be super competitive with, you know, Ohio State, the number one team, defending national champ. you got Michigan on the rise. you got Michigan State. you got Wisconsin. you got Minnesota. you got Nebraska. You know, you got a lot of great football uh, teams in the Big Ten. So I, I, if, if Rutgers can go to the bowl game again, I think it would be great for uh, – for the uh, for the Rutgers this year, you know, um, you know. Before actually, I jump in and, and ask another like a more philosophical quarterback question. I just want to throw out uh, for anyone who wants to call in. The number is nine one four three one six nine four. We'll be taking calls shortly. Uh, quarterback in in quarterback recruiting. Uh, you know, um, I go back to I saying you know about how the game is transitioning and people throwing the ball a lot more at the youth level, um, you know, but other parts of the country, you know, you would go back to the eighties and Texas and run and shoot and they were throwing down there forever. And, and that's why obviously like the colleges and the Pac-12 and those schools like Houston, you know, reflected that. Um, what is your opinion about, you know, I guess it's more of the cold weather or whatever it may be, but uh, not as many of the high, high four or five-star quarterbacks uh, that are coming out of the Northeast, uh, which makes it tougher for the teams in the area to recruit. Uh, you know, what is it? Is it a stylistic thing or just, uh, you know, maybe the coaching, uh, you know, which the industry that you're in? Well, I think um, the whole concept of quarterback recruiting has changed dramatically about six years ago, a software called Huddle came to be uh, created. Uh, before, college coaches used to go visit the kids or the kids would send in DVDs or CDs. You know, we, I can remember sending in Chris's CD out to all the different coaches. Well, now they have Huddle. You can create your own highlight tape. Almost all the high schools are using it, so the coaches can just sit and watch uh, highlight tapes of the kids. So I'm just going to talk about the recruiting part first. And then I'll talk about the Northeast thing, the bias or however that goes. Um, the big thing that's changed in the last five years or so is now almost they are, there's almost a circuit for the high school quarterbacks to attend. The colleges have their own football camps, and they have their own quarterback showcases or quarterback competitions. So when I have a kid that I, who works with me on the recruiting part, we try to identify the, uh, the school that they can play at. You know, If I have a kid who's from New England – who is five foot eleven and you know weighs 180 pounds and runs like a four eight forty? He's not going to get recruited by Rutgers or Boston College or you know anybody down south, Georgia or anything like that. And so it wouldn't make sense for him to go to a, a Rutgers camp, maybe just for fun, but it would be uh, it wouldn't suit him. So we try to get the type of skills that you have to the type of colleges that you can play at. So when you're talking about I'm training the kids in Georgia, uh, the other thing that I see. So that's about the recruiting piece. That it's changed where the kids can promote themselves much quicker, much easier online with Huddle, and the coaches can see them. And then this whole circuit of doing quarterback camps. Now there's quarterback competition with the Elite Eleven, and Rivals has its own. You know, Elite Eleven has a TV show, so there's a lot more exposure for uh, quarterbacks. Uh, as far as the actual recruiting of the New England. I would say for sure I trained down in Georgia and Charlotte. Now down south they have spring football, and up north they don't have that. I don't know about now. New Jersey is really starting to become a hotbed for uh, quarterbacks. There's some really good quarterbacks coming out in the New Jersey area, and there's some really good high school football. But up in my area in Boston, there's no spring football. So they're at a disadvantage. Texas, Florida, Arizona, California, uh, South Carolina, they all have spring football. So you're not allowed to – practice with your team in the springtime and then i know in georgia 
they're allowed to work with their high school team four days a week up to four hours a day all summer long. So it's legally allowed by the Georgia Football Association. So I just think some of the southern schools, I don't know if it has anything to do with the weather because a lot of the kids now are training year-round. I train year-round. We train indoors in the winter. And that happens in New Jersey and anywhere up north in Chicago. Uh, So I don't know if it's that. I just think uh, there's some advantages that the year-round training with the coaches and the football team gives them an advantage. Now, there's still some great players that play in New England. I just don't think you get the volume of, uh, of Division One players. We're talking about Division I F, uh, FBS, uh, kids that would go to Rutgers or Boston College or Syracuse. You know, I know I'm, you know, I'm from the New England area. I think Mass on, on Rivals has four Division One players. That's what they're projected for this year. Down in Georgia, it's 59. So that's just, the, you know, and I don't even know what's going on in Texas or California. So I just think the, there is an advantage with the weather and the time that they can practice. I just don't, I still think there's some quality football players, but uh, uh, not as many. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, uh, you know, you know you're, you're also familiar with the New York area. We think back and, uh, you know, how the – in basketball, obviously, how it was particularly like New York, New York City, uh, you know, part of it is because these kids are playing all the time and the whole AAU circuit has been established for so long. You know, look at that and, and what you see in, in you know, in, in Florida and Georgia and these places where they're playing spring ball. And, and it's kind of interesting because it's kind of kind of intuitive that it's, it's hot places and they're playing so much football. You know, it's funny, I got a question for you that, you know, not quarterback related, but uh, someone just tweeted me, like, you know, it's going to be a little bit hot up there uh, this this week um, at Rutgers, you know, probably 85, and it's very, very sunny. Um, what are some of the things players have to do to keep themselves from not cramping up and dehydrating when you're playing in that kind of heat? Well, old school, they used to drink pickle juice, which really does work. Uh, I was a high school coach, and we had cramping. We had the guys drink pickle juice, but now you've got you know, they have the Gatorade, but there's there's other stuff you can drink that just has pure electrolytes. Pediasure is one of the things, if you're looking for a poor man concoction, the Pediasure that you give kids so they don't uh, get sick really works. So the whole hydrating is one thing, and they're in better shape now. Uh, the college guys are with their teammates year-round. So, you know, as far as the quarterbacking, I doubt that's going to get anybody cramped up. Maybe the wide receivers, maybe the running backs, but – you know, I'm pretty sure the Rucker guys trained all summer when it was hot, super hot out. So I'd be surprised if there was going to be a, a huge cramping problem. I would think maybe Washington State would have more of an issue at than the Rutgers guys. It's a good point. It's a good point. Well, Todd, I, 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 I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. And, uh, uh, you know, as you know, we, we've been in contact in the past and, you know, kind of when Chris was first getting mentioned as potential. Um, so, you know, obviously, um, you know, enjoy the game and it's got to be. Also, you know, something from from a personal perspective, uh, an accomplishment to you know see one of your players you know grow to this level, and uh, you know must be proud. And we're looking forward to see uh, you know Laviana get out there and uh, you know enjoy that first uh, start of his career. Yeah, thank you very much. It's very rewarding. Um, people don't realize across the country how hard these young men work and how much the parents and family sacrifice and all the things they do and. They see the end result when they're playing at Rutgers, but there's so much that goes behind it. So it's uh, very rewarding, and and it's just uh, I'm grateful that I uh, I get to do this as a job. It's just you know help guys achieve their football dreams. It's just I'm you know I'm just really blessed that uh, I'm doing this. So it's great for Chris and his family, and I hope uh, it's great for Rutgers, and I hope it, it it works out really well this year. Now I do before I let you go. I do have uh, you know typically like a lot of you know talking. Football and sometimes I get a little more into the recruiting depending on the time of the year. So, uh, you know, if anyone is listening and they are interested in getting you know, that that kind of work um, and they have some knowledge of quarterbacks that might be interested, uh, do you have a website or what's the best way uh, to follow you and get in touch? I do. I appreciate the, the little plug. Thanks a lot. Um, uh, my website uh, is at playqb.net, P-L-A-Y-Q-B.net, playqb. And I'm a social media guy. You can find me on Instagram under quarterback guru under Twitter. You know, I'm a, I'm a big follower on Twitter. Uh, it's quarterback guru on Twitter. And I'm also on Facebook under Todd Krieger or play QB. So any of those things you can find me, uh, you know, love to help anybody. The recruiting process is getting more and more complicated. So I've had great success with my quarterbacks getting recruited, whether you want to go to Ivy league school, division three, division two, division one, double a, or, 
big time football, you know, I can help most of my guys get a scholarship. So thanks for the plug and I appreciate it. I hope, I hope it works out for Chris and hope the team does great this year. I hope it's a great year for the Chop Nation. Great. Thank you very much for uh, coming on, and I look uh, forward to uh, touching base in the future. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks uh, for Todd coming on to the show and giving a little bit of, of a unique perspective of the um, coaching um, uh, view and as well as uh, you know, getting a little bit to learn about um, Chris Bobbiano who will be making uh, his – First star for for the Scarlet Knights uh, this this week, and um, you know we don't know. Obviously, it's it's never a, a uh, things just are not set in stone, and and there's still another very good quarterback on that roster, so we don't know if uh, we're going to see more than one play. Uh, and and I'll tell you this from perspective of of what I saw, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, yes, it was Norfolk State. It was you know sixty three to thirteen. Um, but uh, for those Rutgers fans over the years, we, we've sat through some times in these games where, uh, you know, it took a little bit longer to take care of business than, than uh, you thought it would take. So, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of credit goes to this team, a lot of credit goes to the team who uh, went out there. And, and part of it is, you know, this is a, a pretty deep team. When you look at the running back situation, obviously with, with uh, James and Hicks and Martin, uh, you know, you're bringing in in the fourth quarter a player, Goodwin, who scored, who was a guy who has uh, 100-yard games to his credit. I mean, uh, uh, so 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 Rutgers is pretty deep, and that was part of the reason why the score went to that 63 to 13. When you know you're you're talking about your third uh, running back who really is uh, practically a starter when when they move around uh, these three guys. So uh, part of it uh, in terms of of getting that that game and then the explosiveness, obviously, a crew playing. Uh, in, in the second quarter, so uh, it was it was good for the Scarlet Knights to take care of uh, business, and we'll kind of this kicks off the beginning of the season in certain ways. In, in that uh, opportunity is again there. We always talk about this on the show where Rutgers has opportunities to get out there and jump. Um, uh, if you look at the next three opponents uh, in uh, Washington State, Penn State, who lost, Penn State lost uh, to Temple. And then Kansas, uh, who lost also uh, to an FCS team. Sorry, uh, an FCS team. Uh, it's games that are winnable, and, and that possibility of, of going four and zero again shares uh, the Scarlet Knights in their phase as they lead into the Big Ten. So uh, it's an opportunity, and they need to start uh, right away in taking care of of a team who who was uh, handled physically at the line of scrimmage. Uh, on last week, when, and Rutgers obviously wants to do that, so uh, it's it's something that they'll have their chance to get out there and jump out to a two 0 start. So, uh, just a couple of quick um, notes on on the season. I welcome anyone who wants to call in nine one four three eight eight one six nine four. Just a um, heads up, of course, tomorrow being on nine eleven, just uh, you know, uh you know, take your time and, and just remember uh, you know, that day for, for those of us and you know there's if you go to Scarlanation dot com tomorrow, that's the uh, the Yahoo uh site, uh, I know there's someone that posts uh, a list of uh you know uh, of Rutgers grads who perished on that day and I think it's uh, definitely something to uh, take a look and just take time to think about, of course, for everyone who was lost on that day. But um, moving on, on to uh, the NFL, which takes place uh, today, the Steelers are playing New England. Um, I first started to show a, or my in, get into this uh, whole thing of, of blogging and, and podcasts was originally starting by following the Knights in the NFL, and uh, you know it's kind of was nice to see it go from two guys, three guys, five guys to uh, as high as 25 guys uh, at, at a time when you couldn't practice squad players. So um, I think the latest number is 16 for Rutgers um, and a, a couple more uh, on, on the practice uh, squad. Uh, some guys of recent memory, Brandon Coleman looks to actually have a potential to to have a good opportunity in New Orleans for, uh, for the uh, – uh, passing game with Drew Brees and opportunities you might get there. Michael Burton, uh, who was a former walk-on at Rutgers, uh, went in as an undrafted player to the Detroit Lions and is their starting fullback. Uh, he'll be blocking from Amir Abdullah from uh, Nebraska, and I think that's a uh, uh, an interesting story. Another guy 
you know, periodically who we've seen from Rutgers come in as walk-ons and then go on to the NFL as undrafted and, and still make it. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Sean O'Hara, uh, Gary Brackett uh, brings up uh, names like that. So uh, those, you know, Burton keeping that tradition ahead. Of course, today, as we mentioned, there's four Scarlet Knights playing with the Patriots. So uh, you get a little bit of your uh, uh, fix of Knights in the NFL. So looking forward on next week to recapping this game, talking a little bit uh, more on on the Big Ten side. Uh, of course, um, Ohio State looked uh, like Ohio State. I mean, it was they were down early in that third quarter. Back, third quarter. Uh, it's funny I said quarterback, but amazing in the terms of they were really playing with three quarterbacks, and, and Braxton Miller looked uh, like a natural at wide receiver. So Ohio State still kind of uh, looks to be uh, the class of, of the uh, – of, of the Big Ten, obviously, and, and the nation. And they may not have the most difficult schedule out there, but they, uh, particularly if the media continues its love affair with the uh, SEC, and I uh, say that, you know, truthfully, I mean, I know the SEC is good, but 10 ranked teams, uh, you know, I'm not sure if number 10 is really uh, uh, a top 25, but, you know, let it be. So that'll be the discussion for the whole season, but. Uh, the Big Ten itself, there were some interesting uh, developments in the uh, mentioned Penn State loss, um, Nebraska loss to uh, BYU, um, Michigan loss to Utah, uh, TCU took care of Minnesota. Now TCU's ranked number two in the nation, so I wouldn't do that. Now I know that uh, Illinois had a nice uh, early uh, victory. By the way, Illinois is coached... Um, uh, uh, by the former uh, offensive coordinator of Rutgers, uh, Bill Cubitt, who's the interim coach over at, at Illinois. So, uh, you know, we do a power poll every week um, with Sal Soothsayer, SalSoothsayer.com. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, I had uh, Rutgers six. Some people even had them five. And, you know, for the beating that they take in terms of perception in media where everyone sits down in their pre season polls and, and somehow Rutgers always ended up, you know, last in, in, in the uh, Big Ten East last year, and they did again this year. Uh, you know, I know it was just uh, Norfolk State, uh, but, uh, you know, when you really start to look at things when football starts taking place, uh, um, you know, they will not and, and end up, um, you, you know, the goal is obviously not to just be in the middle of the pack, but, you know, you look at a team that really legitimately is, in, in the middle of the conference right now and, and still trying to get that push to move forward. And that's uh, where it will happen with consistency and they have to start out this week. So uh, everyone, uh, thanks for listening to the show. I'm going to sign off and we'll do this again. It's uh, RU Fan Jerry. Make sure you can reach me on Twitter at RU Fan Jerry. And uh, I will also uh, get this out um, onto the Facebook page and we'll talk again in the future. Thanks.